All right, guys. Listener cold open question. What Disney flick would you remake as a horror film? It could be animated. It could be live action. But what Disney film would you completely reimagine as a horror flick? That's a good question. Um, So many choices because they're all kind of horrific if you think about them for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Anything from before 1960 is pretty terrifying at times. Yeah. All right. I'll go with the easy one. I'd say Beauty and the Beast. That's just a gimme. But I mean, that whole concept is terrifying. Think about, you know, the Beast at least did something wrong. He's a dick. But all of his servants were just doing their job. And then one day they're teapots and fucking candlesticks and brooms. From that perspective, that's a nightmare for all of them. And they're way too chipper uh, singing their little songs about being just randomly transformed into dishware. Yeah, you hear that chip? You're way too chipper, you little shit. (laughs) Well, not only that, you've got the like creepy, the creepy Gaston aspect of it, too, where that dude's just like, I'm going to get that chick no matter what. You're like, whoa, slow down, bro. Yeah. Like, dial it back. He's due for his Me Too moment. I know it. Oh, big time. <laughs> yeah. What What is the Beauty and the Beast's... Um, is it magical? Is it paranormal? Like, what are we talking here? What is witch curse? Yeah, he he's cursed. And I don't... It's been a long time since I watched it, but there's a rose that's involved somehow, right? And he's got to find true love before his rose dies. Um, yeah, a witch, a witch puts a curse on him because she comes and needs like shelter and during a terrible storm and the, the prince basically tells her to get, you know, bug off lady. (laughs) And she's like, Oh, I see how it is. And puts a curse on a plague on both his houses. Um, so yeah, she, um, she curses him and, um, all the people in his staff because he won't let her crash at his place overnight. Gotcha. Okay. And that's originally, was that like one of the grim fairy tales or written around that time frame when everything was scary and creepy for kids anyway? So that is definitely a good choice, I think, John. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. So that's what I'm going to go with. Let me see a dark beauty. It probably already exists, a gritty Beauty and the Beast remake. Uh, but I bet it's a young adult movie. That's my guess. Well, the Ron, the Ron Perlman TV show was pretty dark back in the day during the 80s. So that's something. All right. Linda Hamilton was in there from Terminator 2, if I'm not mistaken oh yeah that's right no that's correct that's she was in that okay well i thought about it and i was like like kind of like john said all of them could be a horror movie so i was like you know what i'm gonna go outside the box on this one i'm gonna go with 1969's computer war tennis shoes starring kurt russell and caesar romero you might remember him as the joker from the adam west batman tv show basically what happens is kurt russell has a transformation inside of his brain that basically turns him into a living computer. I want to take that one step further and he's going to turn into a living computer killer robot machine. Okay. Ooh, I like it. And then Kurt Russell's going to have to do robotic noises and do his best robot impersonation. So I think it'd be a horror comedy. I think it'd be great. (laughs) And the name of this film was what again? The Computer War Tennis Shoes. The computer wore tennis shoes. What the? F- That's a real Disney movie? You didn't just... It sounds like a Mad Lib generated film title. No, dude. Seriously. I know, right? The era of the era of Disney live action movies from the late 60s, early 70s has mostly been forgotten by people who weren't forced to watch them as kids with their parents. They're not they're not bad. There's there's several Kurt Russell movies back when he was a teenager that he starred in. And they all surround this like fictional college called Metfield. And it's crazy how many of these movies they made, but the really the only character that like 
goes over all of the movies, uh, like I guess is the the Metfield universe, is the college itself. Wow. There's also one where they invent invisible paint at one point. Yep. They're all over the place. Isn't that just clear paint? Invisible paint's just clear? (laughs) I don't recall what color the paint was, (laughs) but they did like paint a car invisible, and we had a car chase scene with invisible cars. Oh, that's amazing. I wonder if it's on Disney+. Plus. It is. Dude, all this stuff, as about this, I was going to say, like all this stuff is on Disney Plus. You can see the the computer war tennis shoes, the one about the invisible paint. There's the one where he inadvertently makes a potion that makes him the strongest man in the world, but it wears off after like an hour or so. And there's another movie he did for Disney called like The Barefoot Executive or something like that. And it's basically Kurt Russell and a monkey in a suit running a company. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, it, absolutely insane there's there's so many like disney plus opened my eyes to like a whole like decade of stuff that i forgot existed and i was like oh that's right time tried to help us forget and then disney forced it back in our faces (laughs) it's also just great seeing a young kurt russell like you forget that he's been in the business for his entire life almost the man's a legend what do you got garrett i'm gonna have to go with my favorite disney film it's animated but I think we could easily turn this into a very creepy horror film. We're going with The Jungle Book. Now, I envision this as Mowgli is brought up in the jungle. He thinks he's being raised by the wolves. This is an elaborate plot where every 30 years, they bring a man cub into the jungle, raise him, and then one day flip the switch. And they basically say, now you have to get out of the jungle alive. And so it's all the animals are in on this. And what they do is they raise him to a certain age. And then if the the man cub can get out of the the jungle, he wins. But every animal is going to do what it can to stop him from getting out. So that's what I envision. I like it. Sign me up. That's a good idea. So he wouldn't have a single friend in the forest this time? Or the forest, the jungle, the titular jungle? (laughs) He may, but I mean, that's that's the depth of it. You know, like Baloo's been his buddy. Now Baloo's like, I got to kill you, bro. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're bros. And he's like, I know, but the game is the game. You know, and then you got that snake coming out of nowhere. You got Shere Khan, who's just like, he's he's kind of like this, like, I don't have to get a head start on this. I'm Shere Khan. You know, like, he knows. He's like, he's like the final, he's like that, that dude Mandy with the giant chainsaw. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it could be it this weird psychological, like, this is like this big mind fuck. And then out of nowhere, it's like, now survive. And it's like, oh my God, dude, that's fucked up. Yeah. He could be armed with just the bare necessities. Ooh. Son of a bitch. Winner. That was good. That was good. <laughs> People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are running when you're down, when you're strange. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing great. Excited. I would say I'm doing less good than Garrett because he is amped. He had a monster energy drink before this and he's ready to go. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> well, I guess, um, I don't know. Garrett's been wanting to do this one for so long. I have a feeling he's going to try to talk about this movie for far too long. Should we just skip news and what we've been doing and get straight into the movie? No, we can, we can stick with the way things are. I mean, I am going to talk about this movie for like six to seven hours, basically the Costner cut version of our podcast, but... We can talk about what we've been up to. Mark, what have you been up to? Okay. Well, I'm going to just tell you, if you go too long, I'm going to hit the the uh, the pause button and you're going to have to edit this thing. It's 4th of July weekend in here in Texas, and I may not be able to go outside due to the rises in the COVID numbers, 
But, you know, I got stuff to do. Mark, I'm going to blow your mind. It's 4th of July weekend everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God, Mark. <laughs> but it's bigger in Texas, remember? Everything's bigger here, so our 4th is bigger. True. We would have vanilla ice was like, fuck it, I'm coming to Texas, you guys. We're doing this shit. I, I don't want to live in this world anymore. <laughs> well, the good news is, is he canceled his show as of like five hours ago. So somebody told the ice, hey, man, you need to chill. He was not collaborating and listening. Oh, no, God. he was not. Oh, God. <laughs> Strap in, listeners. It's not going to get any fucking easier from here. <laughs> all right. Well, what have I been up to? I finally finished my watch of all of the movies in the Godzilla Criterion collection. It was overall pretty good. Some are definitely stronger than others. And you're really going to find your mileage in two areas of Godzilla films. A, how invested you are in the character stories. And B, how much you love the monsters bashing the shit out of each other. I fall in the camp that I way prefer watching the monsters bash the shit out of each other. But as an adult, I've actually grown to like these the, the, the story parts more. So based on those two things combined, I'm going to say my number one movie for me out of all of them is called Ibira Terror from the Deep. And that's the one where a giant lobster comes out of the water and Godzilla beats him up and then they play volleyball with a rock. It's a lot of fun. It's silly and all the action's pretty good and the characters are likable as well. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I agree. It does, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Doesn't sound like a Kong movie, but it sounds awesome. All right, you. You calm down. <laughs> I don't want to start that again today. <laughs> what have you been up to, John? I watched a movie called Apollo 18. Is that that one with the moon and the skeleton inside the astronaut suit? Yeah, it's like a found footage moon movie, which yep. all of those words sound like something I would really love, but this movie is miserable and do not watch it. That's my review. I was really bored and disappointed with it. Um, not really scary, mostly kind of boring. Just such a great premise, such a terrible execution. I remember when the trailer came out for that movie, and I saw it, and I was like, "This is this has everything I want in a for in a horror movie." And yeah, it was. Oh man, it did not live up to the hype. I really wish it would have, but it did not live up to hype for me. Yeah, it's, I was like, "Oh, a space movie, and it's set in Apollo times. Like that's pretty cool. You don't really get that kind of technology level very often." Oh. <sighs> Sigh. <laughs> you know, whenever way back when, uh, when we did our space horror episode, that movie kept coming up whenever, you know, there's so few, apparently not that many space horror movies around. That one kept popping up. And I was like, no, I heard about you. You're not pulling any pranks on me today, Apollo 18. <laughs> it's actually shockingly hard to find. I had to go way out of my way to find this movie. Uh, it is uh, on the Walmart streaming service. I don't remember what the V1. What's that one called? Uh, voodoo voodoo yeah but it was not on itunes which for me means i had to go out of my way because i ever i only ever go to itunes <laughs> so if i had to leave itunes i was uh i was like what they're trying to make us forget about this movie and they're doing a good job <laughs> good deal well garrett what you been up to uh you know mostly just kind of you know doing my own thing with some art projects but i did uh watch a couple films i finally watched the exorcist 2 john you are correct. It is hot garbage. Is It's insane. What a film, man. It's one of those things where it's got the hooks where you're like, oh, this is going to catch me and drag me. This has got everything. I And it's like the hooks just go right by you. And you're like, wait, come back. Take me with you. And they're like, no, no, you can stay there with that story. And you're like, no, I want to go with you. <laughs> but other than that, I've just been really excited about um, Nia DaCosta's new Candyman movie, the one that uh, Jordan Peele's producing. I'm 
or written. I think he's writing it. I don't know if he's producing it also, but man, I I can't tell you how excited I am for this film. And I know that they said it was going to come out in September in theaters, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen. The excitement levels are off the chart. I feel like I'm setting myself up for possible failure, though, because I think I'm too excited about it. Yeah, I would really tone that down. You're like at a 20. Maybe maybe bring it down to like a 10. Well, everything he's done has been great. You know, everything he's written has been, you know, I've really enjoyed it. And everything I, I love the new take on like, like, it's almost it's like Halloween 2018. You know, it's like, we're not negating the first one. We're continuing with the legacy that it created. And I, I just I, I, I guess I'm like, I'm in the, I'm wrapped up in the whole, if they can do what Halloween 2018 did with Candyman, I'm going to get everything I want out of it. But I, I also do kind of wish I could see it in a theater, but for safety reasons, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Who even knows if theaters will still be around, man? They're, this is a brutal time to be owning a theater, and I, I worry about that. Well, I think some of the good ones are starting to. I know Draft House basically is launching their own streaming service um, for any of the movies they have, and I don't know if they're working on any other deals with any other companies, but um, it's going to be one of those like, I, I think that some of these franchises are branching out to find ways to keep income you know, coming in. I definitely think the theater going experience is going to be different for quite a while. I don't think theater is going to disappear, but man, it's, they're going to have to look to the future. Unfortunately, news came out yesterday that the Alamo draft house laid off 80 people. So, um, it looks like they're having to do some sort of restructuring. So, cause you know, you like you saying, who knows how long it's going to go on. So I don't know, man, I'm worried for all of them, all the uh, theaters at this point. Yeah. Well, if there's any if there's any industry that can bounce back, I'm sure it's going to be the theater industry. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they can pull through. And if not, hopefully they can bounce back bigger and better. We shall see. Speaking of bigger, maybe better, definitely greasier and a lot more saxophone. Are you guys ready to talk about Lost Boys? I am so ready to talk about Lost Boys. Okay. I have a question for you guys, though. All right. Do you still believe? Yes. Do you still believe? I never stopped. Okay. Because I still believe. <laughs> Good. We're talking about The Lost Boys from 1987. This one's sitting at a 76% with Rotten Tomatoes at the uh, critic end of it and 85% with the audience. That's out of 274,768. I feel like it needs to be said that, I, I don't know, 80s horror is still just the best damn horror. It's got everything. There's some garbage. There's some amazing... I, I don't know. I, I, I know I'm way too excited about 80s horror movies, but this movie just encompasses such a great little niche a niche niche i don't know how the fuck you say that but like it's got its own little like space in like 80s horror that it just it can't be touched john this was the first time you've seen the movie do you agree with garrett um i mean it's a great movie i definitely don't agree that 80s was the best horror movie uh decade i think it is mad overhyped because that's the, the decade that we grew up in uh but is this movie unique and special? Definitely. It is like uh, if someone was microdosing the whole time they wrote the script and also <laughs> was like, I want to put in every possible 80s thing. And like, if I didn't know this movie came out in 1987, I would have guessed it came out in like the mid 2000s trying to pretend to be from the 80s because. Whew, they shoved the 80s in there awesomely. Well, they didn't have to shove. They were in the 80s. They lived. That was the 80s. <laughs> Fair enough. I think they wrote the soundtrack first and then just wrote the movie around it because the soundtrack really feels like the main character in this movie. Am I wrong? Look, there's there's certain times in our life where things just happen independently of each other. 
and then like a like a proton and a, and a neutron just just they come together they like the elements of life the building blocks of everything just meet perfectly and create a thing that is just so perfect and that was the lost boys I think this soundtrack, I, I think without this soundtrack, this movie would not excel the way it did. And I think without the movie, this soundtrack would be like, what is this shit? It's like they have to exist together to work. It's it's so weird. I think I agree with you on that. Well, this one was directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, probably at this point in his career, most famously known for Batman and Robin. Would you guys agree with me on that? Yes. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, his most like notoriety, most notorious film would definitely be Batman and Robin. Though After seeing this movie... It's like, okay, yeah, Batman and Robin makes total sense now. Like, that's just what this guy does. So, uh, I don't know why anyone was surprised in retrospect about Batman and Robin. Of course he put nips on the bat suit. Why wouldn't he? Did you see the Lost Boys? Yeah, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) That should be an excuse in cinema, period. It's all like, well, of course he put five credit scenes. Didn't you see the Lost Boys? Oh, Your Honor, I'd like to reference his movie from a decade prior. I'll allow it. (laughs) All right. Well, this one stars Jason Patrick as Michael, Corey Haim as Sam, Diane Weist as Lucy, Bernard Hughes as Grandpa, Edward Herman as Max, Kiefer Sutherland as David, Jamie Gertz as Star, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog, Jameson Newlander as Alan Frog, Brooke McCarter as Paul, Billy Worth as Dwayne, and Garrett, you can tell me if I need to name anybody else, but I think that covers most of the main players here. We got Alex Winter. From Bill and Ted fame in this motherfucker. Oh, oh you're right. I got to call him out, right? This is like his second favorite uh, famous movie. Man, this movie just has like, it, it, man, it's got everybody. I love it so much. <laughs> All right. Well, here's what the back of the VHS tape has to say about Lost Boys. The Lost Boys. A hip comic twist on classic vampire stories, says the New York Times. Sam and his older brother Michael are all-American teens with all-American interests, but after they move with their mother to peaceful Santa Carla, California, things mysteriously begin to change. Michael's not himself lately, and Mom's not gonna like what he's turning into. The Lost Boys reshape the vampire traditions, deftly mixing heart-pounding terror, rib-tickling laughs, okay, and a body-gyrating rock soundtrack with tunes from NXS and Jimmy Barnes, Lou Graham, Echo and the Bunnymen, and others. Under Joel Schumacher's deft direction, a marvelous cast, Jason, Patrick, Jamie, and a bunch of people I've already named, stakes you to gleefully ghoulish entertainment. Oof. I've, That's... I, I don't know. I can't get behind that one. So I have two questions from that. One, what are all American interests... <laughs> You know, a couple American boys doing American things in America. Girls. <laughs> yeah, the Constitution, apple pie, you know, your basics. <laughs> yes, the Constitution. <laughs> On the mind of every prepubescent and teen <laughs> out there. <laughs> All American, man. Uh, and two, this movie was supposed to be a comedy? Apparently. It's got some funny moments in it, but I, that's what I like about this. It's got funny moments, but overall, it still is a very tense horror film. I do want to say I liked Grandpa. Maybe he's the comedy bit. You know, all the interactions with weird Grandpa, who actually was... This is the second movie I've seen this actor in. He was in Tron as the guy who invented the technology that could zap you into the computer. 
Oh, shit. So I appreciated seeing him show up. That was cool. Yeah, Grandpa was my favorite character in this movie. He he definitely, I relate to him. <laughs> like when uh, he's talking about how he hasn't had guests in eight years and it's been too soon. I was like, yeah, dude, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, he goes, what does he say? He says, like, he's like, we haven't had guests in, and she goes, she goes, we haven't had guests in eight years, dad. And she's like, I know. She's like, when mom died. And he's like, I know. And now we're going to have guests again. I was like, there it is. This dude gets it. Yeah. <laughs> I also love when he just, he gets into his fancy, nice uh, 50s Cadillac or whatever he's got in the garage. He turns it on and then turns it off and goes, that's that. Let's go to the market now. <laughs> that's as close to town as I like to get. I was like, this dude, it's, it's like, I, I would love to imagine myself being that chill when I'm that old and it's just like man that's a level of like zen living that I hope any of us can aspire to <laughs> and he keeps calling like he's got a love interest that they never show and they just call it keep calling her like old widow Johnson or something like that yeah the widow Johnson and I was like holy shit dude grandpa gets it wet that's all I'm saying is he's running <laughs> this town okay yeah I think the only other grandpa that would give him run for his money is Munster, grandpa Munster Oh, could you could you imagine like a road trip movie, like a like a fear and loathing type movie with Grandpa Munster and Grandpa from this movie? Could also add in the grandpa or great grandpa or whatever from House. That guy was pretty dope. Yeah, that dude had his shit together. The three of them together, <laughs> I'm sensing a comedy horror film. It's like The Hangover, but dead. Ooh, <laughs> that's literally what it would say on the back of that VHS box. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I know there's one question that our listeners um, will be very upset if we don't ask. Um, John, this soundtrack, does it or does it not slap, sir? Oh, it slaps hard. (laughs) This is amazing. And I love that it goes very heavy on the saxophone. Can never have too much saxophone, so... Two thumbs up. If there was ever a decade that wanted to fuck an instrument more, it would be the <laughs> 80s and the saxophone, dude. It has a har- raging hard-on for that thing. Uh, Yeah. Oh, now that's a fucking shirt. The 80s had a hard-on for sax. Oh, my God. Just like, okay, why don't you go ahead and set the stage for uh, one of the best characters in the movie, Garrett? Okay. So we'll get to this part in a minute, but like, in the movie, they smash cut to our main characters um, going to the boardwalk because Santa Clara is right on like a boardwalk beach. It's got a little of everything because they first show up to Grandpa's house. He's got a field with horses. And I was like, they must be way the fuck away from town. But um, they smash cut to a scene where you start hearing this music playing in the background. And this guy's singing. It's got this like bump 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 bang wang wang you know like it's got some sax it's got some guitar and you're like oh that's nice i like this we're seeing some characters established you know where they're at and then we just immediately cut to tim tim cap c-a-p-p-e shirtless oiled up with chains around his neck the tightest jeans you've ever seen a fucking mullet like feathered earrings holding a saxophone, (laughs) pumping his arm, holding the sax in the air, being like, I still believe! Like, just, this dude, if, I don't know, it's almost like, he's like, he's like kinetic energy in music form. This guy is just banging on it. And um, he's going hard. And then he just throws that sax in his mouth and just starts hitting those licks. (laughs) 
but man, and he just comes out <laughs> just raging on this. And everyone else is acting like, yeah, this is a pretty cool show. But this guy is going, it's like, an, it's like if Andrew W.K. was an 80s sax man. This guy just has it going nonstop. It was so crazy. In my notes, I referred to him as that Shawn Michaels rocker dude, because he reminded me of Shawn Michaels from the WWF. He does look like Shawn Michaels. You're right. Yeah. They have the same pants. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what genre of music this would fall into, but I want to own all of it because like rock and roll, saxophone, metal, I don't know. It's really just a mishmash of everything. Uh, So sign me up. This was the best part of the movie and it was 16 (laughs) minutes in. (laughs) It just, it just, when it happens, you're like, that's, that's the point that I tell everybody. Like when you get to, when you get to sax man, if you are not into that scene, you'll probably just think Lost Boys is okay. But when that hits you, if you're not like, all right, I'm sold. Like, that's the moment that I tell everybody, like, that's the moment you're going to know if you love this film or not. I convinced my wife to watch this movie when I told her that Jack Bauer from 24 was in a vampire movie as a kid. And she's like, (laughs) all right, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) We got to Mr. Saxophone Guy. The only thing she said was, how come he's so greasy and his face isn't? (laughs) She said, I'm raging hot right now. Let's go, Mark. (laughs) I guess you need to be greased from head to toe to make sense. Yeah. Did you explain to her that was applied grease? He didn't. He backstage greased himself up to what he thought was an appropriate level, which was maximum grease. (laughs) (laughs) Maximum grease. She was just so distracted from the shiny pecs that she's like, why isn't all of him shiny? <laughs> <laughs> Those are, that's strategic shine. You only shine the key areas, you know? <laughs> Garrett, sounds like you've been watching it since you were a, uh, a kid. I didn't actually catch this one until the 2000s. Um, again, this was one of those movies that was rated R. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. Um, for whatever reason, all the nights, you know, going over to the friend's house and, and uh, spending the night or whatever, this one never came up out of all the other ones that I watched. So... Um, I'm, I didn't grow up watching it. I'm outside of the nostalgia zone that I think you're caught in. Like if you take away that nostalgia growing up with it, do you think it really would hold up to where you have it in your mind? I honestly have thought about this quite a bit because you guys know me. I don't, I don't wear nostalgia glasses. Um, just because I find it to be, you know, like I'll never be like, Oh, you remember Alf? That was great. No, Alf was terrible. You know, I watched Alf, you know, but like... You take that back. (laughs) We don't speak poorly of Alf on this show. We found the closet Alf (laughs) co-host. Look, he's not strategically greased. He's out of (laughs) here. But um, no, I mean, the thing is, is like, I think about that sometimes with things that I really, really care for. And I can honestly say I would love this movie just as much if I hadn't watched it back in the day, because it really does fall into that, like my love of 80s horror, which is not super crazy, creepy, scary, but it also was like intense enough to be like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm uneasy. It's got just over the top characters. It's got Tom Atkins from Night of the Creeps level characters in this movie. Everyone's just overselling it. Um, the Frog Brothers. I mean, I want to know if that was a, a character choice like that the actors made or if that was a directorial like instruction because they're just like, you listen to me, truth, justice, American way. And this is like 16-year-old Corey Feldman. You're just like, what the fuck, dude? That's awesome. Um, well, it's not just Corey Feldman. It's him dropping his voice as low as he can possibly do. And it's just weird. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's auditioning for The Expendables. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... No, I mean, this really, this movie, the pacing's good. 
It's not too long. It's an hour and 37. So it's not like overly bloated. I've watched all the deleted scenes that are on the DVD. And I got to say, everything they cut, they definitely needed to cut. So um, everyone's great in this. Kiefer Sutherland, who I'm not a huge fan of. I don't think he's bad by any means, but I'm just never like, ooh, he's in this. I've got to go see it. I think he does such a great job of exuding this kind of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mysterious yet imposing figure with the way he acts. And I don't think that he does the best he's ever done in this movie, but his character, I mean, I don't know. I think I think it really does hold up on its own. Right on. I think it's pretty good. I, I would definitely recommend it just to get that out of the way. Um, but I don't have that nostalgia attachment, so I would probably not recommend it right out the gate, but it's definitely a must-see, I think. I can get with that. Yeah, I I saw this movie for the first time five days ago, and I I'd agree with Mark. It's definitely a great film. Like, uh, but without the nostalgia, I don't know if I could talk about it for I don't let's say seven hours. Like you know, some of us, <laughs> I was way better than I expected. I'll tell you that when I was like, huh? Because really, I know Joel Schumacher from. St. Elmo's Fire, Batman and Robin, and now this. I was like, what am I signing up for? So that was way more impressive than I thought it would be. But man, it's so 80s. Let me be honest here. I would not, this would not be at the top of my list of recommendations. I love this film. I will, if someone's like, I want an 80s vampire movie, this, Fright Night. I mean, those definitely immediately pop to the top of that list. But if someone's like, yo, what's some really good horror movies? This is never one of the ones I throw at the top of the list. Now, why I have a love for it that would think you should put it there. It's a great film, but yeah, you're right. I wouldn't lead with this. But if you take that out of context, if you take that out of like compared to other types of horror and stuff like that, on an, on its own, this just stands up as a really solid film. I agree. If you wipe away the 80s, you know, smear your chest clean of all 80s grease <laughs> and just think about the plot structure. It's actually a pretty decent plot. You know what I mean? It's about a, a new new family coming to a town. They befriend a group that uh, brings the brother in and turns him into a vampire. And the younger sibling has now got to figure out how to save his brother from this vampiric cult. Um, it's it's pretty decent. They don't waste a lot of time on scenes that aren't necessary. I mean, we get a few scenes that you could technically edit out, like where um, the vampire you know crew murders the um, that that punk from the um, the carousel in the car where they lift the lid off the lid, the roof off, not the lid of the car. Um, they lift the roof off and then they like pull them up in the air and kill those guys. I mean, you could get rid of that scene and it wouldn't kill the movie, but that really does add this element of like, Oh my God, what am I seeing? It did kind of like ratchet up that, like that fear factor. Cause we still at this point hadn't seen who these vampires were. You know, you can kind of get some, like if you're halfway decent at context clues, you can be like, okay, those guys are vampires, right? Yeah. I feel like the movie pretty much tells you like the f- first 10 minutes in uh, with the uh, the security guard. Like you can, if you're paying attention, you could probably put two and two together in, uh, pretty immediately. Like, I see what's happening here. John, I'm going to totally um, pull a John here and uh, spoil some of the end. But you said that the movie does a really good job of explaining and kind of illustrating who's who and, you know, what's going on with certain characters. Did you feel that the red herring of Max was well played. I mean, because when I first saw it, I did not see Max being the head vampire coming at all. Yeah, totally. In fact, one of my notes from when they're fucking around with Max is, poor Max. I felt bad for the dude. I was like, God, they're really fucking around with this poor dude. Uh, And then when the twist came, I was like, 
damn, you got me good. This was some fucking Sixth Sense shit here. And that has to, you have to respect that because the movie does such a good job of illustrating who your your characters are, or what roles they play. Like, again, for them to be able to keep that Max secret so well until the end of the film, it was like, yo, well played, Schumacher. John, did you not catch it when, like, uh, what was it, Michael or, or uh, Corey Haim's character opens the door for Max and he's like, well, as the man of the house, aren't you going to invite me in? Yeah, that, that I was like, oh, okay, so Max is a vampire, but then he passed all the tests. And so that, I was like, oh, I guess he's just weirdly polite. Yeah. But I think this worked because it made up some sort of new vampire rule that I never heard of before. Uh, it's like, oh, if you invite a vampire in, you're powerless over him. I don't know about all that, but whatever. It's the rule of this universe. Uh, so that's why it worked. But yeah, when the holy water and the garlic and the mirror, they really drove home like, oh, he's not a vampire. I was like, oh. So if you if you order a garlic pizza, you invite a vampire in, he can enjoy the pie with you and go halvesies on it. Yeah. Apparently they love garlic. <laughs> he's, he's a fan. He's a fan. Now, I did have a question about vampire powers because, again, vampires are probably my least favorite monster. But um, when he he's getting he gets invited in, and there's that dinner scene where the Frog Brothers and um, is Sam Sam's the the young Corey uh, Haynes character. Um, Sam and them are trying to run Max through the tests, and yeah, we find out later on that if you invite a vampire in, you render the powers you know your power you become powerless. Now he his, his reflection showed up in the mirror, which we know is a vampire thing that you know you're not supposed to show up in mirrors. So if you invite yourself into your own house, so if, if Michael had turned into a vampire and invited himself in, would he be able to see his reflection in a mirror? Because throughout the movie, they kind of show that he's slowly fading from reflections. And I was like, I wonder if that power like exists to yourself. Hmm. That's too deep, dude. I, I don't have an answer for you. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Could you invite yourself in and therefore appear normal and be able to enjoy garlic and stuff like that? I mean, if you bought the house, do you have to ask for permission to come into your own home to officially like check mark that box? I don't know. See, there's so many there's so many legal like things I need to get into with the uh, the vampire powers. I'm with you though. I don't really like vampires because I feel like nobody no vampire movie, at least that I've seen, does a good job of showing why it would suck to be a vampire. <laughs> like, it seems like, all right, you have to go out at night and kill people. I would think, I mean, the going out at night part, whatever, the killing people would suck. But apparently when you become a vampire, you suddenly just also become a bloodthirsty murderer because no movie ever shows anyone having a hang up with that. So you have all of these superpowers, very few, like, downsides. It doesn't make sense why people are terrified of becoming vampires i think um did you guys ever see interview with a vampire once i'm not a huge fan of that movie but i think that movie actually did a really good job of like really showing the like well fuck this sucks <laughs> like i think brad pitt did a really good job when he first got turned into kind of being like nah man this is not i do not enjoy this at all yeah <laughs> you know uh. but um that's you're right that's the only one i can really think of that kind of illustrates that in such a blatant tone like tone well i i know there's more examples i can't think of them directly um there's nine seasons of true blood if you really want to watch some dramatic garbage vampire Ugh. stuff i watched a lot of that and the most believable part about true blood is that there were vampire groupies who wanted to become vampires because true blood vampires are op as fuck <laughs> oh yeah they are <laughs> so much in fact they want to get into the legal craziness they can mind they can mind control you to invite to force you to invite them into the house that does not seem like an invitation that's unstoppable at that point you know what's the <laughs> yeah and they can do that 
Yeah, that power is called glamour, if I'm not mistaken. Um, now, this this movie did have a power that um, Billy Idol, a.k.a. Young Kiefer Sutherland, does to Michael two times inside of their vampire cave where he, he like, mind tricks him into thinking he's eating bugs and worms. Is that a normal vampire power? Because I was like, wait a minute, when did they get that ability? I don't know, but every time I see that scene now, all I can think of is the, the thing from what we do in the shadows where it's like, do you like your worms? And it's like, we stole that from the lost boys. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I can't see that scene anymore without hearing uh, that dude's voice saying that. Um, I don't, I mean, I know that they have the ability to kind of like infer their will or like kind of infect your mind, I guess kind of the, to what you were saying about the, true blood vampires so maybe but it just seems kind of like a waste of that power just to kind of fuck with people while they're eating <laughs> i think it has more use than that haha <laughs> 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 got you again classic vampire trickery the waiter there's a fly in my soup we'll comp it haha <laughs> there was never any fly at all <laughs> the fool <laughs> got him <laughs> <laughs> we, we we eat for free tonight um so let's um let's actually talk about this movie though because the plot is, you know, like you said, Mark, it's kind of simplistic and it, but it is like, it just gets going and it doesn't stop. There's very little lull in this movie, but we start off by basically having slow pan into the boardwalk of Santa Carla. And then we see Kiefer Sutherland and his little band of lost boys kind of walking around a carousel and they get into like a little like tussle with some random 45 year old punk rocker um, there with his girlfriend, I guess. And then they get kicked off the um, the boardwalk by the security guard. I will note, this is the only time we ever see law enforcement. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. They talk about Santa Carla being like the murder capital of the world. Everyone seems to know that it is. And we don't see cop one in this entire movie, which I'm kind of glad because it would inter- introduce a whole other element of like, you know, who's going to stop this? But then the security guard, everything's closed down. The security guard gets it in the, the parking lot. And then we cut to um, our main characters. And I do want to mention that when the cop gets it, he looks like he's swallowed whole and all by POV flying vampire cam, right? I mean, anytime the vampires are flying, it's from the, their perspective. We don't actually see him flying around, do we? No, uh, we ne- actually, yeah, no, we never see that. Because even when we, um, even at the end, when we're like, following them to the destinations that we know they're supposed to be going to, we still only see it as POV. I'm sure that was a a very good cost-cutting measure. And I think it was a good like effects measure too, because watching people fly almost never works. It mostly just looks ridiculous. I was just about to say that. I was like, I think it would lose a lot of the intensity if I saw Kiefer Sutherland and Alex Winter like floating through the air like Superman. I think the, the POV works much better. Oh. Yeah. Imagine all that feathered hair just <laughs> gl- gliding across your screen. Birds getting caught in it. <laughs> and this was also the era of the blue screen before we graduated to the green screen, so it looked even worse. Yeah, I think everything in this is practical effects too, if I'm not mistaken. I can't think of um I think of, I can't think of a single scene that's green screen or blue screen or anything. So then I wrote down no MTV, and I don't know why I did that. Oh, I wrote that note too. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow, you guys are really hooked on that MTV. Um, so what happens is we meet our main characters, which is Sam, Michael, those are the sons, and then the mom, Diane West, is, Diane West's character, Lucy. And uh, we, we introduce them, pulling up that she got a divorce, and so they have to go live with her dad. Um, in Santa Carla. So they pull up. We have a little like weird little interaction with the, the grandpa's playing dead. And then we get the rules of the house where he's like talking about like, this is my house, you know, like, you know, and at that point, 
uh, Corey Haim is like, there's no TV. You know what that means, Michael? No MTV. And I mean, definitely in 87, that was a major reference. Yeah. And then they find a TV guide and get super excited. And they're like, oh, Grandpa, do you have a TV? And he says, if you read the TV guide, you don't need a TV. No, it's better than that because like he's explaining that he's like rules. We got rules in this house. And this rule, I completely understand. He goes to the fridge and opens it up. And he's like, the second shelf is mine. That's where I keep my root beers and my Oreos. No one touches the second shelf. And I was like, this man lives like I do. <laughs> um, and then he's all like, every Tuesday, the TV guide is going to come in the mail. And you're going to be tempted to to pull off the mailing the, the mailing label, which is going to be flipped up a little bit. But don't. You'll only mess it up more. And then he goes, so, Grandpa, if you get the TV guide, where's the TV? He's like, I don't have one. He's like, well, why do you get TV guide? And he's like, if you have TV guide, you don't have to watch TV. That was hilarious. <laughs> which I thought of you, John. When he said that, I was like, that's a John move right there. That's a, that's a power move that John would do. I was like... Right on, Grandpa. Amen. <laughs> and so then we kind of we get a little uh, we get a little like um, they're, they're like, oh, man, they see that Grandpa's growing weed outside of his window in the kitchen. That's when we smash cut to the boardwalk scene where we get introduced to uh, Tim Cap, the sax man. And that's where we still believe. And they're walking around. We're getting a little feel that evidently every night there's boardwalk concerts. Um, yeah. Is this the local hangout of this town, Santa Carla? There's nowhere else to go other than here and the comic shop. Because those are really the only two places. We, oh, well, and the record store, right? Because the mother gets a job at the records or the videotape shop. Yeah. But both of those are on the boardwalk, though. <laughs> it's all boardwalk. <laughs> this town is all boardwalk. <laughs> yeah. The, the city's uh, economics is just built around this one boardwalk, I guess. We don't see any other part of the town other than suburbia where they live, I guess. We had the boardwalk. We had to have the city. Okay. Okay, look, I've never had my own boardwalk, so I didn't know. But now I know. Thank you very much. Mark, if you have a boardwalk, you don't need anything else. Yeah. Don't get greedy here. You got a boardwalk. Look, without a boardwalk, you're not going to attract maximum greased sax musicians. <laughs> so it's a trap. It's a grease trap. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Ooh. It's it's the long con. Oh, dude, I just got that. You. Oh, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. <laughs> Those kind of bands only play on boardwalks. Everybody knows that. So it's in their contract. It's in their contract. So we, we get uh, introduced to Sam and Michael walking around, kind of getting a feel for Santa Carla after dark. Uh, we see Saxman, and that's where we see Star. Like we have a, I wouldn't call it a meet cute because they don't really meet, but Michael sees a uh, Star who's played by Jamie Gertz. And let's just take a moment for a Jamie Gertz appreciation. Man, she's just gorgeous. The only other movie I know her from is Twister. She was the ex-girlfriend or wife of Bill Paxton in Twister. <laughs> in the 80s, she was, man, that was that was one of the 80s crushes for me. Um, I wonder if she'll come back for the Twister remake. Ooh. Oh, no. I forgot that was happening. Thankfully, I could remind you. <laughs> So we so we get introduced to Star. Michael's kind of like like I gotta follow this girl around. Corey Haim at this point is kind of in a way sort of cock blocking his older brother, but you know he doesn't know where else to be. So he's kind of like, "What are you doing, Michael? You looking for that girl?" And he's like, "Don't you have somewhere to be?" And then that's where Corey Haim looks to his right off screen and sees a comic book shop. And this is where this movie became way too relatable to me because I was like, "Yeah, I get it." Corey Haim goes into the comic shop, and that's where we're introduced to the Frog Brothers. Now, is that their official last name or was that something they just call themselves i don't know i don't think it's ever like i mean they're they're credited as edgar and alan frog and i was like trying to think of like a like poe and frog like is there any kind of like synonym or reference there but their names are edgar and alan i don't know but like evidently their parents own this comic shop but they show the parents and they are like passed out hippies (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm like, how does this business stay afloat? I mean, they're, these guys, they, they're not even awake during business hours. But um, Corey Haim talking to um, Feldman, Edgar and Allen. And at this point, they're like, where are you from? And he's all like, oh, they're trying to like, they're trying to flex on him, right? Like, what are you doing in our, our shop, you dweeb? You don't know anything about comics. Yeah. It doesn't seem like ha- how you'd want to treat a customer. This person just walks in the door and these two guys, I mean, they get their kids, but they're just like, what are you looking at comics for? Get your eyes off our comics. <laughs> He's right in the demographic that they should be targeting. Yeah. Not pushing out the door. How this comic shop stays in business, I do not know. All their business practices are wrong. <laughs> Maybe they're inbred with grandpa and they're selling his weed somewhere. Maybe this is just a front. Oh. Maybe they're in bed with uh, Big Boardwalk, you know. Maybe it's just, you know, funded from behind the scenes. A comic book weed shop sounds legit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that I think they were just ahead of their time. If it was... 2020 and they were in california they'd be rolling in dough yeah the little <laughs> flap in the back leads to the weed section where you can pick out all your edibles <laughs> uh I, i'm into it and then they yeah you're right they try to flex on them and then Haim or um sam just puts them right back in their place listen buddy if you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt bar went out of business last summer actually i'm looking for a batman number 14 that's a very serious book man only five in existence four actually i'm always looking out for the other three Look, you can't put the Superman number 77s with the 200s. They haven't even discovered red kryptonite yet. And you, uh, you can't put the number 98s with the 300s. Lori Lamaris hasn't even been introduced. Where the hell are you from? Krypton? Phoenix, actually. But lucky me, we moved here. At that point, they've got his respect. Like, they're like, okay, shit, this guy's legit. And then they hand him a comic called Vampires Everywhere. And later on, they give him a comic book called Destroy Our Vampires. And he's like, I don't read horror comics, but they're like, trust us, you're going to want to read this. And it's almost like they're they're like, okay, this kid's cool. We need to prepare him for what the hell's really going on in Santa Carla because they're hinting... This book could save your life. Yeah, exactly. The way every line he delivers in this movie with that deep, like that deep voice, I'm just like, it just cracks me up every single time. But so he's like, I don't want this to like take it anyway. Our numbers on the back. Now, did you guys know you can actually buy those comics? Oh, are they legit issues? Yeah. Bottleneck Galleries um, is actually selling like replicas of both those comics on their website. You can still get them. Oh, that's cool. Um, so if you guys want your very own Vampires Everywhere or Destroy All Vampires, they are available at Bottleneck Galleries. I, you know, considering how mediocre they are at vampire hunting, though, I don't know that these comics will teach you what you need to know. <laughs> that was what was kind of so endearing about these characters, though, is because they do come off as kind of like, oh, these are the guys that are going to be the ones to step in. And you do kind of find out that they're just kids. They they are not as they're not as well off as they think they are. Yeah. <laughs> now, was there a, a choice by Corey Feldman to dress up like an army guy with a red Rambo bandana throughout this movie? Like, do we what was that all about? I have no idea because his parents are like tie-dyed bandana circle like John Lennon glasses hippies that are like stoned off their asses. Maybe they're getting their weed from grandpa. Um, So I don't know. I feel like he just took on this persona because he does say we fight for justice, truth and the American way. And it's like, maybe he's just adopted this whole military persona. I really don't know on that one. Too many action movies. (laughs) There it is. I have headcanon building up here now that Grandpa runs this whole town like a boardwalk. (laughs) Or not like a boardwalk. (laughs) Like a mob boss. He runs this whole thing. Are you saying he's the Nookie Thompson of this boardwalk? Exactly, yes. He's pulling all the strings. In fact, 
Max, red herring, real, real boss is Grandpa. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I, I want to I hear your take on Lost Boys. <laughs> so, yeah, after we get the comic book scene, we get introduced to the Frog Brothers. Uh, then we cut to uh, Lucy, who's the mom, who's also at the boardwalk. So, literally, everyone just goes to the boardwalk all the time. And she sees a lost kid, and she takes the kid inside a uh, video shop which is Max's video shop. And she's like, oh, hey, this little kid's lost. And the mom runs in and is like, oh, thank God I found you. Um, we've also seen missing children posters everywhere. So that's kind of like, a, oh, this could be serious. And then Max is all like, oh, hey, you're so nice. You know, like, how are you doing? She's like, I need a job. And he gives her a job at the video shop. And you can definitely tell it's kind of like he likes her. So he's trying to hook her up type thing. Now, this is weird. And I have a question. Maybe you guys with fresh eyes can help me on this. But... As they're having this conversation, Kiefer Sutherland, David, and all his his droogs come into the video shop and they slowly walk around and they're like flipping through stuff. And then Max turns to them and says, I thought I told you guys you're not allowed in here. Now, we later find out that David, Kiefer Sutherland's character, is the son of Max. And all those are his his like kids, his kind of like his sons type thing. But I think David is like legit his son. But why wouldn't they be allowed in the shop? I'm going to equate that to just for story building and a little bit of the um, smoke and mirrors of the writers. Like we're trying, we don't want you to know that there's a relationship here. And they were just coming off as like, oh, it's the, it's the punk. It's the teen punk coming in to rile up the customer and cause a ruckus. Because you're right. You think he would have said something like, son, get your dumb friends out of here. Like how many times I got to tell you not to come in while I'm working or something like that. Now, later on, we do we get one single line where um, Michael ends up having a showdown with uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character and end up fighting, and Michael ends up killing um, David. And then when Max comes in, he sees David dead, and they find out, that, like uh, Star says, you're the secret that David was protecting. So maybe he was just trying to establish distance between the two, but that just seems so weird because he wants Lucy to be a mom to him and his kids. But then he seems like he wants nothing to do with his kids. That always seemed weird to me. Well, it's also weird to me that he's so obsessed with getting Lucy as a mom when these kids are not really kids. They're late age teenagers. They're at minimum 16 and really feel closer to 18 to 20. I think the they need a mom stage is already over anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, like after I literally watch this movie at least once a month, I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> they are definitely way too old to need a mother. But yeah, he positions it to Lucy of like, well, I wanted you because you're so caring and so nice. And I know you'd be the perfect mom for my boys. And it's like, dude, they're grown men. Yeah. <laughs> like, let them let leave the nest, bro. <laughs> I wonder if maybe he's referring more to that familial structure of like I'm the king I need a queen and to look over my my family like maybe not so much as yeah I need you to teach my kids right from wrong all my 18 year old children you know I think it's more like a like a symbolic thing perhaps that no that's that's actually that's a good point because um yeah and maybe it is more just like he they're maybe they're like just ruffians who've never had like a caring family structure. And that's maybe he sees that as a lacking quality in them. And he wants that to maybe help balance them out. I don't know who the fuck knows. <laughs> I think we're digging into parts that really aren't necessary. But anyway, she gets a job at the video shop. Now, Michael is on the boardwalk and he meets up with star and they're having like a little conversation. David and all the dudes on the motorcycles ride up and they're like, get on the bike star. We're out of here. And it's like trying to totally cock block, um, Michael. 
Right. And then there's a big, long dirt race, a dirt bike race where they end up into their lair. Right. And this is where we get that scene where they're all eating Chinese food. And then they do, they pull the, you're not eating rice, Michael. It's maggots. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> that layer is. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on. Hold on, John. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Keith or Sutherland in the studio today. <laughs> I just flew in and boy, are my arms tired. Oh. You couldn't see the POV camera flying into the studio, but uh, uh, I'm hanging upside down right now, right above Mark. And I'll uh, be popping in here and there just to give you a couple of hints of what went on during the movie. Just one of the many, many things that the Grave Talk podcast gives you <laughs> listeners. Fakes Kiefer Sutherland. Um, no, yeah, this, this is the part where they had that little race and we get to listen to the fantastic song In the Shadows, which um, by Lou Graham, I believe. If you haven't heard it, check it out. John, does it slap? Um... No, this one wasn't that slappy for me, I gotta tell you. You son of a bitch. <laughs> it was a little bit on the nose. Uh, say hello to the night, lost in the shadows. I did write that uh, that lyric down. While they're motorcycling, <laughs> th- racing, motorcycling, while they're motorcycle racing through fog, can only be described as uh, a paranormal amount of fog. Oh, yeah. It was way too much fog. Like, they just turned all the smoke machines on maximum. I got to tell you, didn't buy buy into this song. This movie's got maximum grease and maximum smoke. (laughs) But yeah, we do, at that point, we do get them um, after they almost drive Michael off a cliff. uh, They do take them to the, the hotel that sunk into a earthquake fault when the giant earthquake of 1920 hit San Francisco. This hotel like (laughs) sunk into the ground and this is where they've made their home base, which houses the largest poster of Jim Morrison to exist anywhere. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's something we also need to touch on. This movie loves itself some doors because it begins and ends with the doors and then we get this giant poster you're referring to. I don't know why I wrote this down, but at this particular scene, I wrote, you could tell me anyone in this movie was a vampire and I'd believe you. (laughs) (laughs) With the exception of Haim, I 100% agree with you. (laughs) So they literally just, uh, uh, you're telling me that a hotel building sunk into the ground and the city of Santa Carla just said, meh, whatever. We'll just move over to the boardwalk to the left. Like what (laughs) they, how is that torn down or roped off or anything? Well, well, it was kind of sort of roped off. There was a gate out by the tunnel that allowed you to get into it, but it was clearly had a hole cut into it as we saw via a flying POV later on in the movie. But yeah, no, it's still furnished. There's still like crystal chandeliers and everything of value still in this thing. Like it's sunk and they were like, well, we're done here, boys. <laughs> Let's go over to the board. Let's go make a boardwalk instead. <laughs> Nothing can happen bad there. <laughs> Let's build all of the buildings on wood instead of dirt. <laughs> if we build it next to the ocean, it can only sink into the ocean. Therefore, it'll float. And then we get this thing. He's like, they've been fucking with them all night. And at this point, they're like, have a drink, Michael. And they give him this like garish wine bottle encrusted in jewels full of blood. And they're like, it's blood. And he's like, yeah, right. Because he knows he's been getting messed with all night. So he takes a swig. Star tries to stop him because she's like, you don't have to do this because she knows what's about to happen. But she doesn't try very hard. She literally just says, you don't have to do this. And he's like, I think I'm going to. She's like, cool. (laughs) Um, He takes a drink and that's where the transformation begins. I think I was more invested in this scene than I realized in retrospect because when the maggot scene happened, my note is, oh shit, magic. (laughs) So I must not have really... (laughs) 
picked up what was happening yet. My note right before it is, I feel like you'd notice if you're eating maggots instead of rice. Then I wrote, oh shit, magic. So I'm on the same ride as the main character here, as Michael. Uh, we're, we're going through this together. I'm glad to hear that because when I first saw this movie, that, that shit got me too. There's like, there's times in my life I wish I could like forget an entire album and just like hear it for the first time again. Like, oh my God, this blew my mind. Sometimes I wish I could do the same thing with Lost Boys because I was on the same ride you were the first time I saw it. I didn't see any of this shit coming because I didn't know it was a vampire movie, honestly. I just knew that it was a Kiefer Sutherland movie and it had Jamie Gertz in it. And I was like, I'm in. Let's see what this is all about. Boy, I was all messed up afterwards. Are you as messed up as Michael after he drank the blood and then they went and hung from trains or the train tracks rather? Is that what people did in the 80s? Like there was no Netflix. So we're like, let's just go hang from train tracks for a while. Yeah, that's literally what happened. Hey, you know, in the 80s, we did all sorts of stuff. (laughs) You You don't remember going into the woods trying to find porno mags. You don't remember... Hanging out on the train tracks. You don't remember rock wars. I mean, this this stuff happened. Constant fog. Yeah, I don't remember that either. <laughs> oh man, global fogging. It's a real it's a real concern if we don't get in front of it. There was at least two hundred percent more fog in the eighties than there is now. You know, it's been a real decline. <laughs> so after that scene, yeah, they hang from the train tracks and they're like, "Come on, Michael, hang with us." And they do, and this train starts going over them, and it's rattling the the poles they're hanging from, and they start falling, and it looks like they're falling to their deaths. Except at this point, you already know something's going on with these people. So he ends up having to let go, and he starts falling, but then he slowly starts floating down to the ground, so he doesn't fall to his death. You know what I just realized? Michael's mom, if Lucy was like, hey, if all your friends jump off a bridge, would you too, Would you jump as well? Michael's answer is fucking yes. I definitely would do that, Mom. Yeah, and he's not even kidding. He would totally do it. Wow. God, the 80s were wild. (laughs) Peer pressure's a bitch, man. Look, when a vampire crew tells you to do something, sometimes you just got to maybe go with it. I guess so. So the, the scene where he falls into the fog from the train track after hearing his buddies laughing and having a good time in the fog... Mm-hmm. Is this where it transitions him laying in bed like he like he falls through the fog into his bed? Is that right? Yes. So at this point, yeah, we we cut back to the house where he wakes up and you're you could take away that oh, maybe it was a dream. He wakes up and he's kind of he feels like hungover and then um Sam is like you know, like, what's wrong with you, Michael? And he's like, nothing. I just don't, you know, feel... And then, like... Sam is not that caring at all. Sam's question is, are you freebasing? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Straight to freebasing. No middle ground there. Zero to a hundred with Sam, man. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. So, and then basically that's where we find out the grandpa's getting ready. He's all like, looks like you had a, a good night too. I was with the widow Johnson and like, what well, was the night before? It's when grandpa's leaving the night before to go see the widow Johnson. He's like, I need aftershave. And then they're like, here, grandpa, use this. And they hand him Windex and he's like, this'll work. <laughs> I was like, dude, like just like rub a bar of soap or something on you. Yeah, he should pat him down himself down with some of that root beer. He'd smell better than putting Windex on. <laughs> is that is that how you got your wife, Mark? He put a little root beer on and let the magic work itself. A little A and W, man. That's all it takes. <laughs> so okay, here here we go. I have a big question mark here now. How old is Sam supposed to be? Um, I picture that Sam is probably in his like fourteen to maybe fifteen. I was going lower. You think he's less than that? Yeah, I was thinking 12 to 14. I don't know. Okay, well, let's just say that he's 13. Now, tell me the truth. Bubble baths at 13 don't happen, right? I mean, 
Garrett, you're the uh, the the resident bath expert here, but <laughs> I don't I didn't see kids in the eighties taking bubble baths in their teens. At least not boys anyway. This is not something that I was going to share with our audience today, but yes, I am I am a bather. <laughs> splish splash, I was taking a bath. Long about a Saturday night. I love a good bath, man. I take baths all the time, dude. They're so relaxing. And while I do not tend to have bubble baths, I will admit I'm a bath bomb guy, man. Those things are fantastic. They like they soothe. They got a nice aroma. You're chilling in there for a while, reading comics, eating a bowl of ice cream. You got some nice little like cookie scent coming out of your tub. I mean, it's just you and a pot of you stew. I mean, you might as well make it smell as nice as possible. Now, bubble baths, there's... Okay, this is the thing about bubble baths. They're bubbly briefly. The bubbles die down real quick. So unless you're constantly topping off that water or like splashing around to kind of rebubble it up, you just end up with a weird soapy scum on the top of the water after like maybe like 10 minutes. So it's really not worth the effort. And you can't also go, you can't put your head under the water because if you come back out, then you got soap in your eyes. So it's a whole nother issue there. But bubble baths, there is something about a bubble bath that is just fantastic because when you do bubble it up, you have that whole mystique of like, what's below the surface you know now granted you know because it's your body as hideous as it may be it's down there but you also like there could be like random fish there could be like you know a monster there could be a freddy cougar hand that's going to come up between my crotch as i'm trying to relax anyway long story short I think bubble baths know no time limit, although I feel like once you hit a certain age, and I will say that age is probably 10, 9 maybe, you should just, if you're going to, if you want something in the bath, put a bath bomb in. They come in amazing colors and fabulous scents nowadays. There's no reason to backtrack at this point. (laughs) Well, there you go. I was going to say, hey, I'm team bath too. But after that, Garrett, I realized that I am taking apparently like JV baths (laughs) and you are playing professional bath ball i'm like pie may from like kill bill like level bath i'm like the master you have so much to learn john (laughs) apparently i was taking notes (laughs) well there you go listeners that's been our submerged minute with garrett our bath enthusiast michael runs back to like he has another interaction with the uh the vampires and he's like oh man he goes home because he realized he's now officially turning he goes home he's starting to have the the vampire change Corey haim is having the bubble bath singing the highest pitch song he can muster with his prepubescent vocal cords and then his dog nanook which is a a big like wolf dog um is sitting in by the bath michael tries to come in and a nanook attacks him because like can totally sense that he's starting to vamp out. And then this has my favorite line in the whole movie. Corey Haim hears this, gets out of the bath, runs downstairs, sees Michael on the ground, and he goes, Michael, what happened? Because he sees his hands all bloody and stuff like that. And he's like, Nanook. And like the first thing that Corey Haim says is, what'd you do to my dog, you asshole? <laughs> that cracks me up every time because he sees his brother hurt and hears his dog name and immediately is like, what did you do to my dog? And I'm like, if that's not a pet owner right there, like, what did you do to my animal? That's when we see a few things happen that clues uh, Sam into that Michael is now becoming a vampire because you see those reflections disappearing. His eyes are changing. Then he calls the Frog Brothers. When he finally realizes that Michael is a vampire, Sam goes, 
my brother, a goddamn vampire, wait until mom finds out. Yes. And I laughed so hard no, at did, that. He, didn't he say shit-sucking vampire? Oh, maybe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he says a goddamn shit-sucking bloodsucker or something like that. And he goes, you wait till mom finds out. And I <laughs> I, I, also laugh every time I hear that because that's such a like great brotherly line. Well, that begs the question, <laughs> what is the punishment for becoming a vampire? Like, you got to take the garbage out 32 more times or what? I think that's at least a grounding. No flying. <laughs> Literal grounding. <laughs> I'm taking away your wings, young man. Looking out the window. That's a paddling. Staring at my sandals. That's a paddling. Paddling the school canoe. Oh, you better believe that's a paddling. He calls his mom, who's out on a date with Max, and she's like, Mom, you gotta get home. Michael, ah! And then, like, he hangs up. She leaves the restaurant mid-date, and he sees her leave, and he's like, well, I just got fucking dumped. What the hell? And she runs home, and as this is happening, um, Sam is having a conversation with the Fog Brothers, and he's all like, you know, I think my brother's a vampire. And he's like, does he have long fingernails? And he's like, yeah, is his breath bad? And he's like, yeah, but he's always had bad breath. And they're like, he's definitely a vampire. The mom gets home, freaks out, and then she's like, what's going on? Now, Sam has decided not to tell the mom because they're going to try to handle it themselves. And he says, I got scared from a comic I was reading. My mom would have whooped my ass if she ran home off a date. And I was just like, I got scared by a comic. So much. Yeah, my mom would not be pleased with me. And then this happens a little bit later, but also he is way too old to be asking if he could sleep with his mom. My mom would be like, what or what is wrong with you? Oh, yeah, he yeah. has to sleep in the bed because he's scared. Yeah, my mom would not be flying with any of that. She'd be like, what's happening? Are you on drugs? Are you freebasing? <laughs> <laughs> Are you freebasing? <laughs> Can we talk briefly of just what's happening to Michael in this scene? He's getting vacuum sucked out of the window and he can't seem to, I don't know, fly feet first away from his house. I guess this is supposed to represent him flying for the first time because he's only partially vampire, right? We haven't mentioned that until he makes his kill, his first kill, right? He doesn't become fully vampire. So he's just halvesies right now. Yeah, he can still technically be saved. So he's got all the vamp powers, but he doesn't know how to use them, but he's technically not a vampire. That's right? Right. Yeah, I, I guess I guess he doesn't have to... I don't know. Man. That's that's a good point. But yeah, he does have he does seem to have um, at least low level powers at this point. And none of the weaknesses because he's out in the sun and he's fine. Yeah. And actually, I it took me it took me like last year or so when I was watching this, because like later on, he actually picks up Star and Laddie, the little kid. There's a there's a little young kid who's also a vampire that hangs around with these kids. And Star has kind of taken on this motherly role of like protecting this little kid who's turn but hasn't also made his first kill so he's not full vampire either but yeah they they pick her up later on and they take her out in the car and i was like why isn't she dying from the sun and i was like oh that's right she hasn't actually made her first kill so honestly if you can just find a way around like having to like drink blood man you could have everything being a vampire yeah best of both worlds man but um yeah so at this point yeah you're right he we we introduce it he's like on the ceiling and it's like one of those cool effects where they flip the uh the set upside down and he's kind of like climbing on it and almost getting sucked out the window which scared the fuck out of me the first couple times i saw it because like what happens if he goes out that window and doesn't know how to control it is he just going to go up into space 
Like, what's to stop him? Yeah, who knows? He just float straight to the moon. He'd be the moon's first vampire resident. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's immortal, so he couldn't even die. He would just be floating off in the space for all eternity. Now that's some dark shit. Well, what if he decompresses and lives through that? So he's just decompressed in space, but living through it. That sounds terrible. Whew. Not ideal. It's not ideal. The Frog Brothers are now working with um, with uh, Sam to try to like, okay, this is what we got to do. We got to find the the head vampire. And they think it's Max at this point. They're like, it's got to be Max, this creepy dude my mom's like scene. And that's when the dinner scene comes up that we already kind of talked about where the Frog Brothers and Sam kind of put them to the test, the the garlic test. The they turn off the lights and he's like he's not glowing. Uh, they ch- check to see if his reflections there. They dump water on him, holy water, and it doesn't work. But then we cut to probably like the freakiest scenes in the movie. It's where we first see Kiefer Sutherland and all the crew feed for the first time. They attack a bunch of punks that are listening to Run DMC and Aerosmith on the beach. And this scene is like crazy gory. They like throw bodies on the fire. There's like blood spurting out of heads. And this is where Michael fully, I mean, it should have been obvious by now, but this is where Michael fully realizes they're vampires. Yeah. Him floating away didn't give it away if he's, uh, he didn't pay attention in school is what I'm trying to say. It's so weird because yeah, they walk up and they're like, now you know what we really are. Now you know what you are. And it's like, bro, we, we've known this for a while. <laughs> like there's, you don't, that no one, no other, uh, you know, X-Men ability gives you all this stuff. You're definitely a vampire. Well, did they ever reference how old Max is? Like, is he like, I've been a vampire since the 1700s. Like, did we get any scenes like that? Mm-mm. No, that's, that's not in any deleted scenes or in the movie, but I assume he's been a vampire for long enough, maybe a hundred years. That's a good question though. Cause remember when they first go to the hotel, like Kiefer Sutherland is like, uh, David's like, Oh, in 1920, this fell into the fault line. Do you think David was alive in 1920 and was around when that thing fell into the fault? Yeah, I don't see why not. Like, what if that little kid is actually like 200 years old? I have a question, though. Why did, if Max, so they say, Max says these are his boys. Why did Max make young vampires? Or is this like his biological kid? Do we, do you guys have a guess on that? Ooh, I don't know. I was of the opinion that it wasn't his biological kid, but just son because he made him a vampire and then had him go out and like vampire up all his buddies. You know, that's kind of how I took it. We're, we're slowly build, building up character. We're realizing they got to do something to stop them. And this is where they, the Frog Brothers, Michael and all of them decide that they got to go kill the vampires, right? They realize it's David and his crew. Yeah. So they all get into a car and they go to the vampire cave but only Sam and the Frog Brothers go in to kill the vampire because Michael's getting weaker and weaker. So I guess you can't stay a half vampire forever because he's like passed out in the car by the end of this. But then that begs the question because Star and Laddie are like doing just fine throughout the whole movie. How long has it been since they fed? Because they haven't fed yet either. That's true. Hmm. Maybe women or kids are just better than or young men. They're secretly feeding off screen and just pretending... That, oh, yeah, no, we're totally good guys, too. Meanwhile, they're out there <laughs> fucking up punks all day. Oh, shit. Head cannon, man. You can make up your own movie. I'm t- uh, you know what? You never really see Gramps and Star in the same place, whoa. right? So whenever, maybe, maybe the Widow Johnson is Star. Oh, Grandpa's getting that Star action. Oh, dude, don't even. I'm. We just made Grandpa like the fucking like cog that holds the world, the, the wheel of time together. He's the nails in the boardwalk. The whole thing, man. 
He is at the center of it all, and he lets Star feed in some sort of kinky shit. <laughs> I'd watch this movie. I feel like if you go on Pornhub and search that, you might be able to find this movie, John. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And that's what the Windex is there for. Keep Star away. <laughs> it all comes to get... This movie is telling you something y'all if you just put the pieces together because we know the vampires hate cleaning products that's just 101 yeah that's facts <laughs> so i'm reading this movie like russell crowe and beautiful mind oh, okay i'm seeing shit. the pattern here <laughs> <laughs> oh dude oh god i want to watch your movie so bad john um they go to the cave where the uh the the hotel cave the frog brothers go in to kill the vampires michael goes in to rescue star and laddie really quick because he's like I don't want them to get hurt. So he goes and gets them in the car. And then um, Corey Feldman's character goes up and stabs Alex Winter through the heart as they're hanging upside down and sleeping because uh, it's daytime at this point. Steak, steak some good. Oh, man. And you got to admit, he's got some some power. He gets that steak right through his whole body in one one pull. Yeah, one of my notes was, are vampires softer than human beings? <laughs> because especially at the end, they like kind of just trip and fall on the shit and it goes right through them. And it's like if humans were that soft, a lot more of us would be dying constantly. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the downsides that we just don't hear about very often. Oh, yeah. They become mushy. <laughs> So they stab Alex Winter vampire through the heart. He freaks out. He's dead at this point. All the other vampires wake up. David wakes up, screams. He's like, you're dead. And they chase the Frog Brothers and uh, Sam out of the um, the tunnels. Out, They grab Sam's leg. It's a tug of war. They're like, pull his hand into the sunlight. David's hand goes in the sunlight, immediately catches on fire, which I love seeing that when they when they do the like, if the sunlight hits you, you catch on fire immediately. I love that effect. I love that whole mythos about vampires. It's just a really cool idea. Um, and then they run off and then we cut back to a close up of Kiefer Sutherland and he's like, tonight. And then he sheds a single tear down his cheek. <laughs> cracks me up every time I see it because it just seems so weirdly I know it's because he's in pain but it just kind of like reminds me of like that Native American commercial where like the garbage gets thrown out and then the one tear the ionized Cody thing yeah so god it's um it's insane so at this point they they take Star and Letty back to the house and they're like okay plan A failed now plan B they're like what's plan B like we don't have one we got two hours to figure it out so then we get the 80s montage time to home alone up the house yes we get the contractually 80s the contractual 80s montage where we see them kind of go into break into a church fill up their canteens with holy water while there's a like a a baptizing going on. Everyone's just staring at them. We see them making traps. They make um, garlic holy water bathtub water, which, I mean, you got to respect that ingenuity. Sure do. Um, I was going through my notes and I we missed one scene that I, we just have to touch on because I'd like to hear uh, about your taxidermy closets. Uh, <laughs> at some point, uh, Sam falls asleep and then he wakes up and this owl's right over him and he screams and he's like, oh, fucking grandpa. He takes this owl that's a stuffed dead animal. He's like, I wish he'd stop giving me these. Opens up a closet that is just filled with other stuffed dead animals and puts the owl in there so apparently he's just been getting a stuffed dead animal like an hour from grandpa uh 
what was that about? I think that's just because, I mean, when we first get to the house at the very beginning of the movie, they open up a room and it's like full of like all these dead animals and things in jars where grandpa does taxidermy, which I'm sorry, if you do taxidermy in your house, your house is going to reek like fucking death. It would be unbearable to live in. Um, but yeah, he just does taxidermy. That's his that's his hobby. That's his thing, man. And evidently, you're right. Every night he just drops off a new a new piece of art next to the bed and <laughs> You wake up next to it and he's like, damn it, grandpa. I love when he opens that closet because the first the earlier we see him do the same thing. He puts one in the closet. It's just a single taxidermy animal. At this point, he opens it up, like you said, and it's just top to bottom, T to B, <laughs> dead taxidermy. <laughs> so it's just you're right. Such a great scene. It's happening nonstop. And the thing is, this movie takes place over maybe a week. So you're right. It has to be like just periodically throughout the day. He just gets random new taxidermy. <laughs> Not to belabor a point, but does this movie say that the vampires have to drink human blood? I don't think it's ever stated. Because maybe Gramps has given Star these animals. That's where he's getting all these dead animals to taxidermy. Whoa. He's running the comic weed connection, but he's also running an underground blood connection. Exactly. For all the vampires. Grandpa has his fingers in every pie. Grandpa's like the Pablo Escobar of like Santa Carla. (laughs) That's it, man. Why do you think it's the murder capital? Grandpa knows where all the bodies are buried. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. Don't ruin this movie for me, okay? Grandpa is a wholesome man, okay? He's just a dude doing what he does, living in a vampire community, all right? (laughs) Joe Schumacher, if you're listening, please tap John to write your remake of this movie. Well, Mark, I hate to break it to you. He can't listen to you right now. He he literally died last week, remember? Oh, right. That's right. (laughs) R.I.P. Joe Schumacher. Bro, if he, he's listening, yeah. We'll, we'll pour some blood out for you, my dude. Well, then, studio's exec who own the rights. We've got it. We've got your movie. Yeah, sign me up. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fantastic tangent, John, because every time that scene happens, I'm like, I would hate that so much to wake up next to Dan Animals. <laughs> At this point, they're planning on plan B, which is to, as Mark put it, home alone up the house. So when the, the vampires attack them, they're ready to take them on. So um, Star and Laddie... <clears throat> go find a place to hide. And now let me make a quick point. Laddie is about what? What would we say? Like maybe eight, maybe nine in this movie, maybe younger. I go six or seven. Maybe he kind of seems like he can't talk very well. I think he's just quiet, but um, yeah, he's very young. He let's, let's give a great comparison. That's going to come up in the near future because somebody had to make a decision that I don't like. He's about the same age as Newt is in aliens. Now, Let me point out, this is how you do a small child. Okay, let me rephrase that. This is how you have a small child actor in a movie that does not bother me. He's not a major plot point that we have to constantly like maintain. Like, where is he? What do we have to do? Does change our plans for him? He's pretty quiet. He basically enhances the scenes he's in like later on he starts to change and they have to like almost fight him but you know fortunately they don't have to but this was like the perfect way to do small kids in a movie because like it it wasn't like in your face it didn't make me have to care about like this motherly instinct or like who's gonna take care of the kid he was just there because he was just part of the story in contrast newt from aliens is just a damn handful from start to finish that little kid oh 
Anyway, we'll talk about that later. We're, we're going to save that. We're saving that for aliens because I completely disagree with you there. Yeah. But now now's not the time for this fight. <laughs> yep. Yeah. In the biz, we call this a teaser, listeners, for our alien episode. <laughs> no, aliens. Let's be very clear. Aliens. Right. It's not alien. I love alien. I have a real damn problem with aliens. But anyway, I really I really like the uh, the chopping up of the garlic and dumping it into the holy water and then putting it into squirt guns. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, yeah. that was actually I'd never thought of that before. But that's one of the, the home alone tricks they're doing. Uh, and you said they they built some traps and they've got the dog with them, right? Yeah. Nanook. And then they just start coming in, right? They, um, but they didn't get invited in, did they? How did they? I thought you had to be invited in, right? No, in this movie, they can come in, but that's how they lose some, like they're vulnerable. That's why all this stuff works. You lose your powers if you enter a place that you have not been invited to, um, or your powers are greatly diminished. But if you're invited in, you get to keep all your powers at full capacity is what it kind of seems like in the Lost Boys universe. But um, gotcha. the, it's nighttime. David and the crew wake up. They're going to go get revenge for them killing uh, Alex Winter. And they, they bust in and there's like there's fight scenes happening. One of the uh, vampires runs upstairs and corners the Frog Brothers. And they're all like, garlic doesn't hurt me. And he's like, yeah, but what about holy water? They splash in his face. It burns. And then he's like about to fuck him up, which... When I was like watching this movie the first time, I was like, oh my God, one of these kids is going to die. Like, there's no way both of them are getting out of there. But out of nowhere, Super Nanook runs in, jumps up, knocks into this vampire, dumps him in the tub, and then he just melts in one of the goriest, like, practical SFX that I've ever seen. Probably my favorite kill of the movie. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, because he like comes out, he's bubbling and he's bleeding, and you're like, oh, that's gross. And then he goes under and you think it's done. Then he comes back out as like, a fleshy skeleton. You're like, oh, so gross. And then every pipe in the house starts exploding with blood, which I didn't understand. I never get that, but it looks cool. Yeah, that was definitely just for effect. I don't think there's no way you could get vampire blood into your pipes and then shooting out from where the water comes from. That just, I, unless that's some vampire power that's revealed in true blood, I don't remember. Maybe there's vampire <laughs> goonies down underneath the ground having their own adventure and they're shaking the pipes like in goonies where everything reverses the flow. Yeah, that makes sense. Mouth is down there. <laughs> or grandpa's blood storage unit got busted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Punctured. Fucking grandpa's got his fingers in every pie in this county. It all ties together. Where, how do you think he's storing all the blood for these taxidermied animals to give to Star? Yeah, you're right. You just fixed the movie. <laughs> Carry on. This is what we do here at the Grave Talk. We fix plot holes. Um, so yeah, so everything blows up, like all the pipes blow up with blood. Um, then uh, one of the vampires is downstairs fighting um, Corey Hames, Sam's character. And Sam has got a bow and arrow and he shoots and he misses and he goes, ha ha, you missed. And he's like, then he shoots him again with the arrow, actually hits him. He flies back into a giant stereo system, which seemed really out of place for grandpa to have, but um, he hits it. The thing explodes like it's a fucking transformer that just got hit by lightning. Yeah. And then we get one of the best lines in the movie, death by stereo. Which I assume is where the namesake comes from the punk rock band, death by stereo. I would totally assume so. And then David's character comes in. I know I'm talking so much about this, you guys. I cut in at any point, but man, I just had this movie memorized from start to finish. <laughs> so David busts in and he's like, you know, now he's going to fight Michael. And they have a, you know, I guess it's obligatory for every vampire movie to have a fight in the air where they like air fight each other. I always enjoy it, but it just seems like it has to be there. 
And he's like, you know, like, you can't beat me, Michael. You know, like, your blood is in me. And, or my blood is in you. And he's like, yeah, but don't forget, my blood is in you. And then he flings David around, impales him on two giant antlers from Grandpa's taxidermy. And then evidently a heavenly light appears over David's body as he dies, which always just seemed out of place. But it's this great moment where we find out um, a few things. Um, Evidently... As David's dying, we find out that thou shall not fall, thou shall not lie, and thou shall not kill. <laughs> because it plays super slowly on the soundtrack as he's dying. Um, always makes me laugh because it feels so out of character, but it's a great moment. And then at this point, that's when Max and Mom show up from their date. Grandpa's out with the Widow Johnson, and then Max comes in and sees his boy dead. And basically does his best Marlon Brando and is like, look what they did to my boy. Um, he turns around and explains the plot. Basically, they're like, you're the head vampire. And they're like, and mom's like, what are you guys talking about? This is fucking crazy. And he's like, oh, no, they're right. I'm a head vampire. Totally vamps out. Starts attacking them. Explains basically like evil villain expositions to his to the family. Like that basically he was going to turn her boys into vampires. So she had to join the vampire family, which just seems excessively complicated of a plan. It is very intricate for sure. Um, John, how did you feel about this plan? Like this is when the, this is when the, the, the big reveal happens. Now, how did you feel during this scene finding out that he was indeed the head vampire? Um, I would have to say shocked, uh, betrayed, just a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was tough to swallow to be honest, and I agree. It is a very convoluted plan. And then I also was like, these boys are men. They've transitioned from boys to men. Boys boys to men, the um, vampire R&B group. <laughs> it's almost like he designed this plan over 100 years. And uh, by the time he was able to execute it, the kids were too, they weren't kids anymore. You think that's what it is? <laughs> He's been working on this for so long. He's like, well, hell, they outgrew the plan. But what else am I going to do with my time? I got to <laughs> I got to start what I finish. Exactly. It's such a. It's why it's so complicated because it's gone through many iterations because he's got all the time in the world to come up with this plan. And he came up with this uh, insane Ruth... Uh, <laughs> you almost you almost said Ruth Goldberg and it's Rube Goldberg, but I love the fact that Rube. I love the fact that there's a Ruth Goldberg somewhere that's like, <laughs> I can't take credit for this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Rube Goldberg plan. And by the time he was able to push that domino over, his moment had passed. Oh God, that's <laughs> I love your headcanon for this movie. It's like, it's changed the way, I've seen this so many times, it's just changed the way I like think of this movie sometimes. So at this point, he reveals his plan uh, to the mom. She's like, oh my God. And everyone's like, don't worry, we'll stop you. But he fully vamps out. He comes like, the 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 vampire makeup kicks in. And then he's like, well, I guess I got to kill you guys. No, no, he says, I'm going to have you one way or the other. So he's going to get the mom. And then all the characters decide they got to protect um the mom so they're fighting him and that's when michael comes out and then you hear la cucaracha from outside which is grandpa's horn he backs through the side of the house all the the fence posts that were sharpened that he was working on earlier in the movie great foreshadowing shoot out of the back of the uh the truck and impale max 
So there's like giant logs basically impale Max like stakes through the heart and he blows up and it's this whole like ending. Grandpa gets out of the car, doesn't say a word, walks over to the fridge. The mom goes, Grandpa, are you okay? Or dad, are you okay? And he goes, one thing I could never stomach about Santa Carla was all the damn vampires. And then bam, smash the credits, Lost Boys, baby. That's it. From start to finish, this is the fucking shit. I love this movie. I guess that last line just really gives John's uh, headcanon about Grandpa being involved in all of the aspects of the boardwalk. Wait. He knew about him the whole time. Why didn't he fucking say one word? Oh, hey, grandson, I see you're half vampire. That sucks. Anything. He didn't say fucking nothing. Well, and there's great moments in the film where he actually like... Like, he'll hear Michael say something or he'll see Michael do something. And he'll give him the side eye like, you might be a motherfucking vampire. But he, yeah, he never says a like, word. Okay, look, if my family was moving in with me, I knew about all this dark shit happening. Why, when, as soon as they walk through the door, I'd be like, all right, check it out. There's vampires here, you guys. Like, <laughs> nothing. He says nothing and allows this all to take place. He definitely is the villain of the film. And he's probably making all the money off his blood vats, as John has pointed out. <laughs> Would also been a good twist if we find out that Grandpa was actually the head. They kill Max, and they're like, we're still vampires. And Grandpa walks in, and he's like, that's right, baby, because I'm the head vampire. <laughs> Grandpa doesn't even have to be. That's how much power that he has. He's taking down head vampires like nothing. He's making and breaking head vampires. He knew that if he built this boardwalk, he could tr- entrap vampires and bend them to his will. That's if he builds it, they will come. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad that you guys, I'm glad that, John, you finally saw this movie. I know that I'm like overhyping this up, but this is just one of those films like, you know, you have those movies that you can just watch a million times and you'll never get tired of. Monsters University, this Goonies, Karate Kid, those right there are definitely like, I can watch this movie, I can watch this movie back to back. That's how much I enjoy it. So I'm just glad that you got to enjoy it and you actually liked it. Yeah, it was super good. I would recommend it. Um, Know what to expect when you're going in. It's very, very 80s, uh, but honestly, it's very charming. It was an enjoyable, I enjoyed myself the whole time I was watching it. I also recommend it. It's a good one. It's, It's a classic and everybody should check it out if they haven't seen it by now for at least sexy saxophone guy at the beginning and then just the, all the silly 80s-ness that ensues within it. It's a good time. Now, Garrett, I do have to ask you, they made two sequels to these, one in 2008 and one in 2010, bringing back the Frog Brothers. I watched the trailers for those and those look like shit. Can you confirm? The Lost Boys, The Tribe, and The Lost Boys, whatever the other one is called. Um, the Thirst. The Thirst. That's the one where they create an ecstasy type vampire drug where they it turns you into a vampire if you take it. And they're using these, this DJ vampire is using these EDM concerts to basically make an army of vampires. And the Frog Brothers have got to stop it one way or the other. Yes. I, I am 99% sure that's a plot in a True Blood season. <laughs> yeah, I think there is. <laughs> it, it might possibly be. The second one is basically um, two young kids, uh, two teenagers, um, maybe 18, 19, 17, moved to Santa Carla based to, to, to live in a house that they inherited. It alludes that they're Michael's kids. 
Michael and Star's kids, but they have to, they then interact with like a rough and tumble surf vampire group that have kind of like set up shop in Santa Carla and it's a whole fiasco there. Yet uh, Corey Feldman and the Frog Brothers are still in that and they're going to try to protect these kids. Um, but yeah, the, the loose link is that they're probably Michael's kids um, in that movie. I have seen neither because like you, Mark, I watched the trailers and was like, no, <laughs> there's no way I will subject myself to that and tarnish the good name of the Lost Boys. I Ignorance is truly bliss in that type of situation. Yeah. And, and no offense to Corey Feldman, but his heyday in Hollywood has come and gone. He's made so many like low-level movies that I just I don't have faith he's putting out anything of quality these days. Or at this point, 10, 12 years ago. Jesus, man. Hey, don't count him out. He may come back with something. You never know. Okay. I'm not saying he can. I'm just I'm I'm judging him based on his body of work from like 2003 forward. <laughs> hey, you know, maybe hopefully he's got a lot of life ahead of him and hopefully he'll land some role or come up with some like franchise that just puts him right back into it. I know they're making a Goonies too. So maybe he'll be in that. You know, we don't know. I would hope so. He's one of the main characters. It'd be really weird if they just left mouth out of the movie. He literally was a Goonie. <laughs> you're right. Um, anyway, that was Lost Boys. I still have, I feel like you're going to probably end the episode here, but I have at least like 20 more minutes of stuff I could talk about. Like all the posters, all the names of the posters, the t-shirts. Uh, oh man, I got so much more to say. But Here's what we'll do. Mark and I will just walk away. Whenever you're done, just wrap up here, all right? <laughs> yeah, I got 4th of July in to do. I'll see you later. Freedom is not going to celebrate itself, Garrett. So. All right, well, thanks for joining us on this. Unless there's anything else that Garrett needs to get out with us here, we'll see you next time. <laughs>